0: The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that the collective energy of mindfulness can bring us together as an organism flowing as a river
1: with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, listen as one body, chant
0: as one body, transcending the boundaries of a delusive self liberating us from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
2: From the depths of understanding (laughs)
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: Good morning, dear Sangha, dear brothers and sisters in the practice. Today is the 27th of September 2013, and we are in the Bakmulia Grove uh, Practice Center. Our meditation hall has the name of the Rising Tide Meditation Hall, and this is our fourth day of the retreat with the title Healing Oneself, Healing the World. I'd like to invite uh, the four novices, the new novices and the uh, four aspirants for for novices to, to come. Three more (laughs) (laughs) and aspirants. You like the retreat? You should sit on here so that people can see you. We sit together. on. Sit here. Around. Dear friends, the other day we talked about the four detriments, the, the four sources of uh, food. And the third uh, source of nutriment is called uh, volition. The deepest desire of your life. The, the, your deepest aspiration, what you want to do with your life. If you, have, if you do have a deep aspiration, that's good. Because it will give you a lot of energy. You want to what to do with your you want you know what you want to do with your life. You have a deep aspiration. And if you don't have one, I invite you to become a monk. <laughs> or a nun. And uh, if you are young enough and you are invited to try, because there is a program of uh, a five-year program of uh, uh, novice uh, training and service. And if you like it, and then you can continue for your whole life, five-year training as, as monastic. and during that time. Uh, you learn, you practice and you serve at the same time. And it can bring you a lot of joy. (laughs) (laughs) The way is uh, to go and to try a few weeks in a practice center like uh, Magnolia, Grove, Magnolia Grove or uh, Brookleaf or uh, Deer Park or Plum Ridge, to see whether you really like to observe uh, the life of monastics and to see whether that's what you, you like. Mm. Then after that, after a few months, you write a letter and you ask to be accepted as an aspirant. You aspire to be ordained as a novice. A novice is someone that uh, learn and practice the ten precepts of a novice. Whether you are a uh, a, a gentleman or a lady, uh, you can uh, you can write a letter and ask the sangha to be accepted as uh, a novice out as an uh, aspirant. And then there will be a meeting <laughs> and the uh, whole sangha, the council of bhikkhus, means the monks, or Bhikshunis that means nuns, will sit together and to look into the matter to see whether that young man or that young um, lady has enough uh, good seats uh, capacity to become a happy monk or happy nun and then they can say yes uh, they can say well you have to stay a few moments so that we can observe you <laughs> <laughs> and those four they have been accepted mm. i think frank he sings beautifully and he can dance hip hop very well. Uh, <laughs> can you do
0: some? <laughs> right now. Right now, right now. <laughs>
1: give him, a, uh, give him a microphone.
0: <laughs> he just dances. Uh,
1: then then. Okay, (laughs) he just thinks. He needs to take off the road. (laughs) Yeah. It's cool. (laughs) Frank.
0: <laughs>
1: in, uh, in a monastic community we build brotherhood sisterhood and we nourish ourselves uh, with that uh, energy of brotherhood and sisterhood because uh, brotherhood and sisterhood is a kind of love that is long lasting it lasts much longer than romantic love You are accepted as an aspirant. Mm. You begin to wear this robe, grey color, and you practice. And you uh, you have a tutor, a mentor, a mentor. Tutor is French, French word. <laughs> and uh, you practice, uh, waiting for a chance to be ordained as a novice monk and uh, one day uh, there will be announcement that uh, an ordination ceremony will be organized on such a such day and many uh, a number of uh, novice uh, will be ordained at the same time and they become a kind of family of uh, novices. they have a name like a white lotus family Um, a few uh, dozens of uh, novices who are ordained at the same time and so on. So they form a family and they uh, learn, they study, they play together, they form a family of uh, novices. And they grow like that. Because uh, building brotherhood, sisterhood is very important in the life of a monk or a nun. And of course, uh, they study Buddhism. But not only in class. Mm, they uh, they um, follow their big brothers in the Dharma, their big sisters in the Dharma to uh, organize retreats like this one, and learn, learn how to to organize a retreat, how to do, conduct a session of. Uh, uh, total relaxation, how to uh, conduct a, a Dharma discussion, and so on. So they continue to learn in many ways. Not only learning in the classroom, but learning all day long. Mm. And when, uh, when you are a novice, you have a chance to be attendant for a number of days. And uh, you can learn a lot also and uh, when there is a day of mindfulness or a retreat like this uh, you can assist your uh, elder brothers and sisters in the Dharma and uh, arrange the the cushion uh, uh, organized so that uh, practitioners when they come they feel comfortable and happy and they learn to breathe, to smile, to be fresh, to be pleasant. And uh, they can already serve as a novice. You don't need to be fully ordained as a bhikshu in order to serve people. Uh, You can begin serving right away. Mm. The way you walk, peacefully, relaxingly, happily, that is very helpful already. If practitioners came and, and see you, you walk like that, uh, they are inspired to do like you. So you don't need to be graduated uh, in order to, uh, to begin to serve. You can serve right away. So uh, not only the, the young ones, learn and serve but the elder one also learn and serve, They also continue to learn. And he can learn from his students also because uh, students sometimes have uh, qualities that uh, teachers have to learn. I want to learn to dance (laughs) hip-hop. but I doubt <laughs> that I can do <laughs> like, like him. <laughs> Becoming a monk or a nun, you have a strong aspiration. A very strong, deep aspiration to practice, to be free, and to serve people. And as you already know, you don't have to graduate in order to serve. The moment when you become a novice or even an aspirant, you can already begin to serve. The way you look, the way you speak, the way you walk, the way you sit, can be a model for other people to follow. And that is a a Dharma talk, a silent Dharma talk. and uh, you recite in ten novice precepts uh, every fortnight, and after three years of practice as novice, you have a chance to be ordained as a monk, a, a bhikshu, uh, a fully ordained monk. And then you become one member of this big council and you can make a decision. You can participate in decision-making. The life in a community um, is, uh, is uh, conducted uh, uh, according to the decision made by the fully ordained monks or nuns. Uh, the abbot cannot decide everything. The abbot only represents uh, everyone. It's so like myself. I am only uh, one of the teachers. I don't decide anything. You know, even this uh, retreat, the title of this retreat was given not by me, by organizers of the retreat, healing oneself, healing the world. I just have to follow. <laughs> I take refuge in the Sangha. I don't have to do everything. And that is why I have plenty of time to write poetry, to do calligraphy, to do other things that I like. So the abbot is not the boss. The abbot is just someone appointed by the Sangha to take care of a number of things and uh, he has to follow the decision made by the Big Shoe Council. And uh, we do not have to uh, meet very long, because during the time we play together, we, uh, walk, walk, we work together, we always exchange our ideas as how our community can be more happier, more joyful and so on. So when we meet together in a meeting, it, 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 it does not need to be a very long meeting. We try to keep communication open so that the exchange of views and ideas can be done very easily. This there is a, there is. A, the six principles of concord that you have to follow if you are a member of the monastic community. Uh, You stay together in one place. That's the first condition. Living together in one place. Secondly, you observe the same kind of precepts, of rules, of mindfulness trainings. You speak in such a way that you can not create uh, discord in your community. You share the same kind of comfort, matric comfort, uh, that the community has. Uh, you combine your ideas in order to make the, uh, the collective insight. And these kind of concords make uh, harmony and happiness. And brotherhood, uh, sisterhood, uh, possible. And uh, you learn to do everything. Uh, you you learn to cook. For the sangha, you learn to wash the dishes. You learn to uh, arrange uh, cushions. You learn to uh, work in the garden. You learn to uh, welcome practitioners uh, when they come to the railway station. Uh, you learn how to make them comfortable. Uh, you learn uh, uh, Buddhism, uh, the practice of mindfulness. Uh, <coughs> and you give uh, Dharma talks. You let uh, total uh, sessions of total relaxation you uh, lead the children program, you, you learn to do everything. And uh, everything that you do in your daily life is uh, practice. Practice of mindfulness. When you grow vegetables, that is practice, and not just work. When you water vegetable, you have to do it mindfully. When you wash dishes, you have to do it uh, mindfully. And therefore, that is practice, and not just the working. And as a novice, as a monk, you don't have a salary. None of us in Plum Village or in other centers has a salary. None of us, monks and nuns, has a private bank account. None of us has a private car and house, nothing at all. Everything belongs to the community. And you take good care of uh, all these things so that the community can, can enjoy using. Uh, because you are not working for a salary. You are working out of love and the ideal of service. Uh, that is a kind of poverty, voluntary poverty. You don't suffer at all, and yet you feel very free. You don't feel poor at all, you feel very rich. And, uh, and uh, every time there is uh, a retreat, uh, and you see people transforming, uh, reconciling with each other, and you know that uh, your life uh, has a meaning. Uh, you can help people suffer less, you can uh, uh, offer uh, joy, transformation to the people, that is the reward. You don't need a salary, that is your salary. Mm. And after three years, if uh, the, the big show uh, uh, council meet, if there is uh, a big uh, ordination ceremony taking place, and they will meet, and you may be uh, uh, designed, you, you may be um, uh, proposed to receive a full ordination of a monk or of a nun. You are called a bhikshu or a bhikshuni. And uh, the five year program. Uh, include the three years of noviceship and two years of uh, bhikshuship, And if you think that uh, that uh, kind of life is fulfilling, make you happy, and then you can, can make uh, the aspiration to be a monk or a nun for all your life. Otherwise, you can return to lay life. And uh, a few years later, if you continue to practice as a lay person, you may become a lay Dharma teacher. Uh, the same thing is true with uh, monastic uh, uh, members. Uh, a few years later, they will uh, they will receive the transmission of the lamp and become a monastic Dharma teacher. And we practice uh, in such a way that joy and happiness. Uh, be possible, and uh, we practice in such a way that the deep aspiration to serve people uh, uh, continue to be strong and grow, because that is is the source of our happiness. The moment when you lose that kind of uh, aspiration, Uh, you lose, you begin to lose your happiness. That is the third uh, uh, detriment called uh, volition, satana, the deepest aspiration. And I think if you are 40 or less than 40, you might like to think, to enjoy us. This is a a life of uh, practice and service and together we can create um, a collective energy that can help heal ourselves and help uh, heal the people who come uh, with us. Thank you, brothers and sisters. You know that uh, we have uh, then, uh, nearly 1,000 monastics, and many hundreds of uh, dharma teachers, monastic dharma teachers, and many uh, lay dharma teachers. But the, the, the number of uh, monastic practitioners Monastic Dharma that is needed for Europe, for America, is huge. Every country in Europe wants to have one retreat a year. Switzerland, Spain, England, Germany, and we cannot afford to offer one retreat a year for every country. Because the number of Dharma and monastics are is still very limited and as a monastic as a dhamma teacher as a happy monastic dhamma teacher you can help so many people and when people are happy you are happy too When I went back to Vietnam for the first time after forty years of exile, you know I went to America and Europe in sixty six with the intention to speak out about the war, saying that we do not want this war, so I was not allowed to go home. so I had to accept uh, to be in exile. And my sangha was there in Vietnam. I was like a bee, uh, taken out of the bee hive. I knew that if I want to survive as a monk, I had to begin to build a sangha. So I looked around for friends and asked them to come and we practice sitting, walking, uh, mindful eating, and so on. I did not have the intention to have uh, disciples. When I was a young monk, I said that, uh, oh, it's good enough to teach uh, the, the disciples of other masters. I don't need to have my own disciples. But after having spent um, many years in America, Europe, I found out that uh, the teacher-student relationship is very important. They come to a retreat, they practice very well, they transform. And when they go home, they can keep the practice for a few months, and then they lose their practice because they do not have a teacher-student relationship. That is why I changed my idea and began to accept disciples and to offer them five mindfulness trainings as a lay practitioners, ten mindfulness trainings as novices, 250 mindfulness trainings as bhikkhus. Uh, but still, with uh, nearly 1,000 monastics and many hundreds of Dharma teachers, he cannot uh, respond to the need of so many people in Europe, in Asia, in uh, North America, and so on. So if uh, you need a new inspiration, Come to join us. Uh, you may like to try five years, and if you like it, and then you can continue. That is an invitation. There's so many there are many young people in this retreat. <coughs> Dear friends, we have talked about um, the art of suffering. We know that if uh, one knows how to suffer, one will suffer much less. And one can make good use of suffering in order to create uh, compassion, understanding. The art of suffering is linked to the art of happiness. A practitioner should be an artist. She should know how to create joy and happiness. Skillfully, she creates joy and happiness for herself and for other people around her. And there are many ways to... uh, to create joy and happiness the first method of creating joy and happiness is uh, to to let go to let go Leave behind. Lee that is a Chinese word for for letting go. Letting go will give birth to joy. and to happiness this is a, this is a sentence very well known in the literary buddhist literature there is a, a kind of joy a kind of happiness that is born from letting go and letting go is the first, the first practice in order to bring in joy and happiness. And how? Uh, many of us are bound so, for, to so many things. And we believe uh, these things are essential for our being, for our uh, survival, for our happiness, for our security. But if you look deeply, you might find out that these things are really obstacles for our joy and happiness. And uh, you have to look deeply into the nature of these things that are binding you. And if you get inside, you can let it go. And after you let go, joy comes and happiness comes right away. You need some courage. With that situation, with that person, you continue to suffer, and yet you do not have the courage to let go. That object of craving, you think that uh, without that object, You'll be left alone. You cannot survive. You cannot be happy. But even with that object with you, you continue to suffer and cry. But if you come to look deeply into that object of attachment, you will realize that it is the very obstacle for your joy and happiness. And you have the capacity to let it go. There is uh, an easy uh, example, like um, if you live in a very big and noisy and polluted city, like uh, Los Angeles. There's a lot of noise, a lot of dust, odor and things like that. So one day you want to go to the countryside for the weekend. Usually You are very busy, but that day a friend persuaded you uh, to get away from the city for one weekend. You, you told him that well, you cannot go because you have so many things to do, but finally, he was able to persuade you to to live, and there you are sitting on the car and One hour later, you find yourself in the countryside. You see the ocean, you see the sky, and you feel the breeze on your cheeks. And that is joy. That is happiness. And that is born from the fact that you are able to leave the city behind. You are able leave behind the city. If you do not leave the city, how can you experience that kind of joy and happiness being in the countryside? So to let go is a, a, a way to have a joy and happiness. Sometimes you think that uh, such a such position is crucial for your happiness. Such a diploma, such an honour, such a sum of money, such a house, such a person is crucial for your happiness. But maybe the, the the truth is not so. You are bound to it, you think that you cannot survive without it, but in fact it is a obstacle. And if you have the courage to let go, and then, and then, joy and happiness will come right away. You don't have to go and look for joy and happiness. One day the Buddha was sitting uh, with uh, seven, eight monks in the wood. They just come back from an arm round and was ready to share a mindful lunch together. And one farmer passed by. The farmer looked uh, lost. He asked the Buddha, ''Monks, have you seen my cows uh, going uh, by here?'' The Buddha said, what cows? He said, well, I have uh, four cows. And I don't know why this morning they all run away from me. And also I have uh, two acres of s- sesame seed, And this year the insect ate them all. I think I'm going to kill myself. I have lost everything my crop, my cows. And the Buddha said, dear friend, we have been sitting here um, almost uh, an hour and we have not seen any cow passing by here. So maybe you should go go and look uh, in the, uh, the other direction. And when When the farmer is gone, the Buddha turned around and looked at his monks and smiled. And he said, dear friends, you are very lucky. You do not have any cows to lose. (laughs) And this is the practice of uh, releasing your cows. (laughs) And everyone should take a piece of paper and write down the name of their cows. (laughs) We think that our cows are uh, crucial for our survival, for our well-being. But it might not be so. And the more you release, the more calm you release. The more, uh, the more joyful and happy you become, and that is the first tactic uh, uh, proposed by the Buddha. Joy and happiness born from letting go. I think Ling Yu Tang uh, told us a story that there was a rich lady living in New York, Manhattan, New York City. and uh, she, she just purchased a piece of land adjacent to her building. And she wanted to build a big building and sell the apartment houses so that she can have more money, income. And that morning there was a friend visiting her. And she stood at the window and looked. Out the window she saw the Washington Bridge, a lot of blue sky. And she turned to the lady and she said, My friend, don't build a building. If you build a building, you don't have that beautiful view anymore. You can no longer see the Washington Bridge, you can no longer see the blue sky and the river. And uh, you just stand here and look, and you have joy and happiness. What is the use of having more money and lose all that kind of beauty and happiness?" And then the rich lady, she understood, and she gave up the plan of building uh, that building. So she was able to release one cow thanks to the presence of uh, of a friend. Most of us continue to suffer because we are not capable of releasing our cows. So during sitting meditation, we have to look deeply, recognize our cows and learn to let go. One of the big cows that we have, one of the big cows we have is our idea of happiness. You think that you can be happy only if you get that situation, if you can marry that person, if you can uh, purchase that house and so on, you have an idea. And you think that without that, happiness is not possible. So you have one idea of happiness. And you might suffer just because of your idea and you continue to suffer with that idea until one day you are capable to release the idea and you become happy. A whole country can be caught in a cow. A big country may believe that such and such ideology is crucial for the country to become a big power in the world. So they invested and they forced everyone to follow that ideology, that, uh, eco- uh, that uh, political uh, system, and uh, preventing other people, people in the country from having the right to speak, uh, the right to uh, um, many human rights, just because uh, the leaders got an idea that uh, Marxism, mm, communism is the only way to make the country uh, strong, uh, happy, uh, capable of uh, dealing with other powers, and you got an idea that is a cow. And you might entertain the idea for 50 years. And during that time, your people suffer a lot. And finally, you wake up and you release the idea. So your idea of happiness may be a cow. And if you come to understand, to see that that very idea is the obstacle for your joy and happiness, and you have the capacity to let go of the idea, Joy and happiness come right away. Because there are many ways for joy and happiness to come. And we prevent them to come just because we, we broke the way. We have an idea. Every one of us has an idea of happiness. So you have to re-examine that idea. It may be a cow to be released. There is... A, a cousin of the Buddha, whose name is Badya. He was governor of a province in the kingdom of Shakyā. And uh, one day a number of uh, friends of his come and invite him to, to join them in order to become disciples of uh, the Buddha. and he hesitated because, because uh, he was holding a big, uh, important post. He has under him many uh, units of soldiers. Uh, he, he has a lot of uh, money, uh, uh, valu- valuables and so on. But finally he was persuaded by his friends and joined the Buddha as disciples and they left everything. They came empty-handed and was ordained by the Buddha as monks. They did not have a house to live in anymore. They only have three ropes and one bowl and one uh, mat to sit on. So one day, Bhadhyaya was uh, meditating at the foot of a tree and suddenly he uttered, Oh my happiness, oh my happiness. It happened that another monk was sitting nearby and the other monk thought that uh, Bhadhyaya might have uh, regretted. To have abandoned his position as a governor, so uh, in the early morning he went to the Buddha and reported what he had uh, heard during the night. Dear <coughs> teacher, last night, uh, late last night, I was sitting in meditation. Suddenly, I hear the monk Badya uh, exclaiming, "Oh my happiness! Oh my happiness!" I think he has some problem. (laughs) So the Buddha sent his attendant to invite Bhadhyaya to come. In front of a group of monks, the Buddha said, Bhadhyaya is that right that last night during sitting meditation you have pronounced two times this. The sentence "All oh my happiness, all oh my happiness." And Bodhi said, yes, "Yes, noble teacher, I did pronounce that sentence twice. And could you explain to us why you have uh, you have pronounced these uh, three words during the night?" And Badiya said, uh, Dear teacher, when I was a governor, my palace was guarded by hundreds of uh, soldiers. But I, still, I was still very afraid, because I was afraid that they would come and kill me and take away all my valuables and so on. So day and night I lived in fear. But last night, I realized that I had nothing to lose. I was sitting under the foot of a tree. I was never in my life I feel so safe. Nobody wants to kill me anymore because uh, I have nothing to do, uh, not, I have nothing with me. And power, and uh, wealth, and jewels, and money, I have nothing. That is why I touch uh, a very low, high level of happiness and freedom. That is why I have pronounced the word "all oh my happiness." All oh my happiness. If I had disturbed someone, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so the joy and the happiness of uh, the monk Badya was born because he was able to let go. So let go is a very um, very uh, uh, effective uh, practice to bring in uh, feelings of joy and happiness) And then, the second way to, to allow joy and happiness to be born, is uh, mindfulness. And this we have already learned. When we uh, practice mindful breathing, mindful walking, we bring our, our mind home to our body and we are established in the here and the now. And we feel that we are so lucky. We have so many conditions of happiness that are already available. So joy and happiness come right away. So mindfulness is a source of joy. Mindfulness is a source of happiness. And mindfulness is something that you can generate by your practice. You can uh, wash your dishes in mindfulness, you can cook your dinner in mindfulness, you can mop the floor in mindfulness, and you can touch the many conditions of happiness and joy that are already available.
0: You are a real
1: artist. You know how to create joy and happiness at any time you want. So this is uh, the joy and the happiness born from mindfulness. And then you have uh, concentration. If you are very mindful, and then concentration will be born. And concentration has the power to break through, to burn away the kind of afflictions that make you suffer, to burn away the obstacles, and allow joy and happiness to come. There are many practices of concentration taught by the Buddha. And uh, later on, we might uh, learn a few, the practice of samadhi concentration. And then we have... uh, we have insight. Because the insight is a kind of light. It has the power to dissipate, dissipate uh, the darkness, and liberate us from delusion, from fear, from anger, and allow true joy and happiness to come. So all these uh, elements are, uh, can be used as the as the means in order to. To allow joy and happiness to come. In uh, the teaching of the Buddha, there are five sources of energies that you can generate and they can help uh, generate uh, joy and happiness. And we already know the, the three sources of energies, mindfulness, concentration, insight. The five powers, the five energies, faith, diligence mindfulness concentration and insight then, and uh, we have already learned about two religions: the practice of uh, selective watering—watering only watering the good seed and refraining watering the negative seed. It can bring a lot of uh, joy and happiness. Mindfulness you have already learned, concentration, insight, and then means faith. Faith here is uh, confidence, and faith is born, not because you learn a dogma or something people say and you believe, but because you have had experiences of practice. When you practice mindful breathing, for instance, and if you feel calm, joyful, relaxed, and then you have confidence in the practice. And if you have confidence in practice, you practice more diligently. So the energy of confidence boosts the energy of uh, diligence. And when you are diligent, you become more mindful. When you become more mindful, you become more concentrated. And when you become concentrated, you break through and you have the insight. That insight increases the amount of confidence that you have. So these are five sources of powers that uh, we can generate. Power here is not money, uh, fame. The other teaching on power is uh, letting go, cutting through. Cutting through, letting go. It is equivalent equivalent to to the first uh, method of uh, bringing joy and happiness, letting go, cutting through. And this is the power. And this power never harms you because this power brings you a lot of freedom and joy and happiness. Sometimes people become victims of their own power. Someone uh, has a lot of money, and therefore they have the power of a rich person. But that person can be victim of his own power, own money. you have a lot of money, You want to continue to be rich. You don't want to have less money. And If you keep trying to keep yourself rich, then you can destroy your health, your love and so on. So you become the victim of your own power. Namely, money. And many people are victims of their own power, their own talent. But this power of letting go never harm anyone. It always gives us more freedom, more joy, more happiness. And that is the power to come true. what is binding you. The first power is the power to cut through in order to be a free person. That needs some courage. And courage cannot be there unless you have some insight. That uh, this object that I am attached to has been causing me suffering. It is rather an obstacle for happiness, rather than, than, than source of joy. And then you have the power to cut it. Fame, sex, money, attachment. If you cannot cut through, you are not a free person. And not uh, not being a free person, happiness is not possible. Happiness is in function of freedom. The freer you are, the happier you become. And that is why the first power is the power to cut through and to be free objects of craving, objects of fear, and so on. You cut through and you become free. It's called uh, "đoạn đức," The power to cut, cut through. The second power is uh, Wisdom. If you know how to cultivate wisdom, insight, and then you are no longer victims of delusion and fear and anger. If we have insight, if you have wisdom, and then we have more freedom, freedom from fear, from anger, from craving and so on. And that is uh, called dhidik, the power of understanding. Here, the power to cut through, the power to understand. If you understand a person, you are not angry at him anymore. If you understand his suffering, you you are not angry at him anymore. You are free. So understanding is a power. And that power we have to cultivate by meditation, by looking deeply. And the third power... Third power is the power to love. To forgive. The power of love. Forgive. It's called Anduk. And if uh, we know how to cultivate these three kinds of powers, we never become victims of power, because these powers never do any harm to anybody. And happiness is uh, possible when a person has enough of these three powers. So we have been uh, listening to the Buddha about the art of suffering and the art of happiness. We can deepen our studies and practice. there is a better way to, uh, to listen to a talk, to a, to a dharma talk, the Zen way. When you listen to a talk, it's better to uh, stop the thinking and allow the, the dharma to penetrate into the soil of your consciousness. If you use your intellect to uh, judge and to compare the ideas, it's like using a piece of nylon and receive the rain, the rain preventing the rain to penetrate into the soil of your mind and uh, help uh, the seeds, the beautiful seeds, to sprout. A good Dhamma talk is like the rain. We should allow it to penetrate into the soil of our consciousness. And down there, there, was, uh, there, there, there are many good seeds the seeds of understanding, forgiveness, love, brotherhood, sisterhood, equanimity, non discrimination. And if uh, the dharma rain can penetrate deeply into the soil, it will help these beautiful seeds to sprout. And that is the way, the better way to to listen to a talk. The other way is to compare and to judge what is being said. When someone says something, you have the tendency to bring what you already learned and to compare if the two things uh, correspond with each other. And you say, yes, I accept, you are right. (laughs) What if the other person says, does not correspond to what you have, to your notion, to what you have learned? And you say, no, I cannot accept that, you are wrong. And in both cases, we don't learn anything. <laughs> and that is why the better way to listen to a thought is to stop the thinking, to remove the piece of nylon and allow the rain to penetrate and trigger the good things in us. Even what is being said can, can be challenging, can be shocking. And Zen masters, sometimes they say something very challenging, very shocking. And if you use your notions and concepts to, to judge and to compare, you, you lose the, the dhamma talk. We know the first uh, exercise of mindful breathing is uh, in-out aware of in-breath and out-breath. We know that the second exercise of mindful breathing is to follow our in-breath and our out-breath all the way through. And these exercises we can practice uh, at any time and enjoy. The third is uh, breathing in, I'm aware of my body. You recognize your body as a wonder. You go home to your body, and you establish yourself in the present moment. And the fourth is uh, Breathing out, breathing in, I release the tension in my body, breathing out. So sitting in the car, sitting on the bus, on the train, on the grass, you may like to practice uh, letting go of the tension. Uh, even while walking, walking to the meditation hall or walking to the, to, to the, to the restroom, we can walk the same way as a free person, walk like a Buddha, enjoy every step. This is an art, not hard labor, it's an art. And you enjoy, you can enjoy the art of breathing, the art of walking. The fifth... uh, Exercise is uh, generating a joy, a joyful, a joyful feeling, a feeling of joy. The sixth, generating a feeling of happiness, and that is the art of happiness. The seventh is to be aware of a painful feeling or emotion, and the eighth is to calm down the feeling and bring in a relief. And all the eight are simple enough, easy enough for us to practice in our daily life. When I first discovered the Sutra of Mindful Breathing, I was so happy, so happy. It's very practical, very uh, effective, very scientific, also. Yesterday, we have uh, considered the night. <coughs> we breathe and we recognize mental formations when they arise and we can call them by their two names. And the tenth... is to gladden our mind, to choose uh, the seeds, the wholesome seeds and water, so that they can manifest up on the level of mind consciousness and make you happy. You do it for yourself, and you do it for the other person. That is uh, the practice of uh, selective watering, the practice of true diligence we have learned. And today we, uh, we learn about this elephant, which is a concentrate, concentrating our mind. and the term is liberating. Concentration, the sensitive word is uh, samadhi. You are so focused, you are so concentrated that there is a powerful energy that helps you to make a breakthrough to what uh, is there and to understand its true nature. That can be uh, a pebble, that can be a cloud, that can be a leaf, that can be your anger, your fear. Anything can be the subject of your concentration. I think scientists, uh, they also practice concentration. In order to study something, they have to concentrate totally on that something. But the practice of concentration here in the Buddhist tradition has a very specific uh, aim, object, is to transform the affliction, transform the fear, the anger, the illusion, so that we become a free person. When you are very mindful of something, you are concentrated on it. But you can choose uh, the object of your concentration. Because yeah, you need some kind of uh, liberation, that is why you, you, you use the appropriate uh, uh, practice of concentration. There are many forms, many practices of concentration, samadhi. But uh, there is a, a set of three concentration that can, can be found in every Buddhist uh, tradition. That is uh, the three doors of liberation. Three doors of liberation, and the first one is uh, emptiness. The second is uh, signlessness, and the third is uh, aimlessness, and together they are called the Three Doors of Liberation. So, emptiness. It's not a theory, it's not an ideology, but a practice of concentration. Your idea of emptiness cannot liberate you. Your notion of an emptiness cannot liberate you. Only your concentration of emptiness can liberate you. Emptiness is quite different from, from nothingness. Emptiness is very different from non-being. Suppose you look at this glass and you see the glass is empty. So, in order to be empty, the glass has to be there. So, emptiness does not mean non-existing, right? So, the first mistake is to identify emptiness with uh, nothingness, non-being. And this morning, the monks and the nuns were chanting, Form is emptiness. Feelings, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. Everything is empty. And that is the essential of the Heart Sutra. That may shock, shock us. Because when we, when we look at things like a flower, We see the flower is full of everything in inside. It's the sunshine, the cloud, the rain, the soil, the minerals, time, space, the gardener, so many non flower elements have come together in order to produce the flower. And if you continue to look, it seems that everything can be found in the flower. So the flower is full of the cosmos. So rather than saying the flower is empty, we can say the flower is full. It's fullness is the opposite of emptiness. So the Ha Sutra was spoken by Avalokiteshvara. We want to go to him and ask Mr. Bodhisattva, Avalokita, you say everything is empty. Can you, can you tell us, empty of what? Because I think the flower is full of everything and yet you say it is empty. And the Bodhisattva can tell us that he agreed that the flower is full of the cosmos. It is only empty of one thing. And that one thing is a separate existence. Because a flower cannot be by herself alone. The flower has to interbe with the whole cosmos. So there is no self. No no separate existence. Nothing can be by itself alone. There is no separate existence. If the father is not there, the son cannot be. If the left is not there, the right cannot be. Nothing can be by itself. No separate existence. Co-being, inter-being is possible. But uh, separate being, separate existence is impossible and that is the meaning of emptiness. It's not so mystical, it's not too mystical. So if you touch the nature of interbeing, you can transcend the notion of being and non-being. And you touch uh, true emptiness, Emptiness, to be empty, is to be empty of something. This glass is empty of tea, but (laughs) but it's full of air. It's full of air. So it's very helpful to ask the question, Mr. Bodhisattva, you say the glass is empty. Empty of what? And then it becomes very clear. Empty of a separate existence. And then with that kind of insight you can apply it to your life. Look at a couple like a father and son. If the father cannot be without the son, if we observe, we see that father and son are born at the same time. Before uh, before the mother conceives the baby, He was not a mother, he was not a father. He was a husband, not a father. He began to become a father the moment when conception takes place. So son and father manifest at the same time. It's like left and right. Darkness and light Above and below, subject and object. They manifest at the same time. So there cannot be father, there cannot be son without father, there cannot be father without son. The nature of the two are interbeing. Father and son inter are like the left and the right. You can take, not take one out of the other. When you look into the Father, you see the Son. And you can just look into the Son, you see the Father. This morning, Thay led us in meditation on the five-year-old child. When you when you open the family album, you see yourself as a five-year-old boy or girl, and you may ask, "Am I the same person with that little boy or little girl?" And the answer cannot be yes or no, because you are so different from the little boy or little girl. Your form, your feelings, your mental formation, your perception, your consciousness are quite different. Those you, you are not identical to the little boy. But if you say that you are completely another person, that is equally wrong. You and the little boy, you into are So when we look into the sun, we see the father. In him. The Father is fully present in every cell of the Son. The Father has tram- mis- transmitted Himself to the Son. So when you look at the Son, you can see the Father. And when the Son walks, the Father walks with Him. Uh, Interbeing. You, you, you may believe that your father is outside of you, but that is not the truth. Your father is inside of you also. And when you suffer as a son, your father inside of you suffers. So father and son are new, are cannot be two separate entities. You cannot take father out of son, and son out of father. And there are those uh, who got so angry at their father, and they say, that person, I don't want to have anything to do with him. That's nonsense because your father is present in every cell of your body, you cannot remove your father from you. It's impossible. You are the continuation of your father. That is the fact. You are somehow your father. So getting angry at your father, you get angry at yourself. That is. The insight that you get when you touch the nature of interbeing. So, if both father and son touch the nature of interbeing between themselves, no more discrimination. Father is in son, son is in father, suffering of father is suffering of sons, happiness of son is happiness of father, and you are free from discrimination because to think that father and son are two distinctive uh, uh, reality is wrong view wrong thinking and the insight of emptiness help you to see the interconnection between you and your father the nature of interbeing into uh, between you and your father and that is emptiness and if you touch the nature of emptiness, no anger is possible anymore because you know that you are your father, you inter- are your father, and your father into is with you. When I was uh, first um, ordained as a novice, my teacher told me how to bow to a Buddha. Before bowing to the Buddha, you have to get some insight. Otherwise, communication between you and the Buddha will be impossible. If you think that the Buddha is completely separated from you, completely other than you, you are a distinctive uh, uh, reality, entity from him, and then there is no communication possible. So before bowing to the Buddha, you have to look into yourself and look into the Buddha and see the nature of emptiness of both, the nature of interbeing in both. You must be able to see the Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements, like the flower, and you are in him. You are a non-Buddha element and then you, can, you must see you in the Buddha. And you also, you are made of non-you elements, and therefore Buddha is a non-you element, he is in you. You have to see the Buddha in you and you in the Buddha before you can bow to him. And when you bow like that, communication will be perfect. But if you think the Buddha and you are two separate entities, no communication is real. I don't know whether as Christians you pray to Jesus in the same way. I see that uh, the trinity the nature of the trinity is interbeing. The father is in the son. The son is in the father. The spirit also is in the father and the spirit is also in the son. If the Holy Spirit is not in the Son, the Son is not a true Son. And if the God the Father is not in God the Son, and then that is not uh, truly uh, the Son. So it's very clear that in the Trinity you can touch the nature of interbeing, emptiness. So, my teacher told me to memorize a verse and breathe in with one line, breathe out with another line, and to get that insight of interbeing before you can bow to a Buddha so that um, communication will be possible. The one who bows and the one who is bowed to are both by na- by nature empty. That is why, communication between them is especially perfect. That is uh, the verse. You can see that in the Plumne chanting book. Before you bow to a Buddha, before you pray to Jesus Christ, you have to see the connection between you and the Buddha, the connection between you and Jesus. You have to see you in Jesus and Jesus in you in order for true communication is possible. in Plum flesh, here also, before we um, we, uh, we bow to the Buddha, to Bodhisattva, we always uh, uh, chant that verse. The one who bow me, the one who is bow to you, Buddha, are by both nature empty. Dear Buddha, you are empty. I am empty, like you. And that is why we can communicate. And that is why the insight of interbeing, the insight of emptiness is very important to remove all discrimination, to remove all anger and fear. And that is why emptiness is a door of liberation. Very deep. Please try. It's very dictating. That is the samadhi, the concentration of emptiness. The second door of liberation is signlessness. Sign is a kind of appearance, kind of manifestation, form of manifestation. If you are caught in the appearance, if you are caught in a form, a sign, and then you might be subject to fear, anger, despair and so on. When we contemplate uh, a cloud, we recognize a cloud because of its uh, appearance, floating, white and so on, soft. But that cloud can become the rain, wet become eyes, very hard not as soft as uh, the cloud so if you are caught in the sign in the appearance you cannot see the the true nature of the cloud We love someone, and we are used to, to recognize him or her through that kind of signs, through that kind of appearance. And when, when she stop manifesting in the same kind of appearance, we are shocked, we cry, we think that she has died. Darling, why you have left me? From being, you have gone to the realm of non-being. And you are victims of despair. So if your beloved um, cloud is no longer in the sky, don't fall into despair. Look for her in her new manifestation, new sign recognize her in her new form, the rain or the river, because a cloud cannot
0: die.
1: H2O can wear many forms. Vapour, ice, snow, cloud, rain, and so on. if uh, you touch the nature of signlessness, you are free from despair and grief. So, if someone just lost uh, uh, his or her beloved one, you have to help him to help her to have that eyes of signlessness, so that she can recognize the presence of her Beloved One in a new form. And that is the practice of signlessness that can help you remove fear, anger, despair. It is a door of liberation from anguish, from fear, from despair. And the third, uh, the third door of liberation is called uh, aimlessness. Very interesting. <laughs> the the, the Sanskrit word is apranihita. It means to uh, to put in front of you something an object, and run after that. You pursue something. You run after something. You long for something because you think that you don't have it. And you suffer because you think that you have to go and, and look for it. It is like God... Nirvana the Kingdom of God. Many of us aspire to be in the Kingdom of God, to be seated very close to God, to, uh, to reach Nirvana, to be in the pure land of the Buddha. But according to the teaching, the Kingdom of God is already there, not only below, but inside of you. You belong to the kingdom of God. You are a wonder that belong to the kingdom of God. And you need only to wake up in order to realize that the kingdom is available in the here and the now. You are in the kingdom, and you yourself belong to the kingdom. The kingdom is inside also. You don't need to go and look for the kingdom. You don't need to go and look for Buddha nature, for God. The same thing is true with salvation, emancipation, liberation. It is already there. And the example that can help us understand is uh, a wave. Appear on the surface of the ocean, together with other waves. As a wave, you can be subjected to a beginning, an ending, going up, going down, high, slower, lower, or more or less beautiful than the other waves, all these notions that can make you suffer. Being and non-being, the wave says, now I am. But in just uh, one, two seconds, I will cease to be. So all these notions make the wave uh, fearful. Beginning, ending, going up, going down, more or less beautiful to be there or not to be there. All these notions... Are the, are the foundation of suffering, fear, anger. But if the cloud, uh, if, if the wave go back to herself and touch herself deeply, she recognizes that she is, at the same time, water. She is a wave, but she is, at the same time, water. The moment when she realizes that she is water, she loses all fear. She enjoys going up, she enjoys going down. Her nature is no up, no down, no beginning, no ending. The moment when the wave realizes she is water, she loses all kinds of notions and fear. and the wave does not have to go and search for water. She is water here and now. The same thing is true with us. We do not have to go and search for the Kingdom of God or God or Nirvana. You are the Kingdom of God. What you need is to wake up in the here and the now and you touch the wonders of the kingdom in the here and the now. And according to the Buddhist practice, if you know how to breathe and to walk mindfully, generating concentration and insight, and with every step you touch the kingdom, you enjoy the kingdom, you don't have to run to the future, you don't have to die in order to go to the kingdom. Aimlessness. You do not do not run after anything. You do not have to long for something. Everything is already there. You are already a wonder. You are already what you want to become. Don't try to become a Buddha. You are already a Buddha. You can generate mindfulness, concentration and insight. And you can walk like a Buddha. Breathe like a Buddha. Smile like a Buddha. With freedom. That is the third door of liberation called aimlessness. The moment when you stop running, you have freedom. I think that's good enough for today.